This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing, of course, their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix, helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Welcome to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS office in WeWork London. I'm Simon Taylor, blockchain lead at 11FS uh, and regular host of Blockchain Insider, the sister podcast to this show. Why have they let me host this one, you ask? Well, aside from David, Nigel and Sarah all being unavailable, uh, in this show, we're going to focus on insurance and blockchain, in which case we're going to bring you a blockchain InsureTech Insider takeover mashup thing. Exciting times. This week's show is focusing on blockchain and insurance and the different opportunities and ways of thinking that can be tapped into using smart contracts, DLT, blockchain, and insert your own buzzword here. In addition to that, my Blockchain Insider co-host Colin G. Platt, GSAS himself, interviews Stefan Kapischek, the co-founder of Etherisk, who are building decentralized insurance applications, so look out for that later in the episode. But before we get to that, I'm joined by some fantastic guests in the room today. Uh, we're recording this show on Valentine's Day, so naturally... I'm looking at an entirely male panel. <laughs> Winning at diversity as always. Uh, Greg Crow is Global Head of Architecture at XL Catlin. Greg, thanks for being with us. Very nice to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Walid Al-Sakaf, have I said that well? Um, in-house Innovation Manager at Beasley, entrepreneur in residence type character. Uh, Kadim Schuber from FT Alphaville. Hi there. Hello. And uh, Sebastian, I'm not even going to try and say your last name, Managing Director at Market Minds. Dazulu <laughs> uh, Yeah, thanks. That's why I'm not even going to try. Uh, all right. Um, Greg, can you just tell me a little bit about what you do as Head of Architecture at XL Catlin? Uh, yeah, sure. I look after the tech strategy for XL Catlin for the global organization. We're a specialty and commercial insurer uh, and write risks, the kind of weird and wonderful stuff all around the world. Weird and wonderful risks are what you write insurance for. I like the sound of weird and wonderful. What about you, Walid? So I'm their in-house entrepreneur, and my job is to break things and to see how we can improve things within the corporate world from an entrepreneurial standpoint. I like that job title. Cadim, uh, FT Alphaville, we know about this thing? Uh, yeah, I mean, I write about uh, tech and startups and blockchain and uh, lots of uh, fun, fun stuff. And have an amazing Twitter account as well. And uh, Sebastian, what about yourself? Market Minds, what do you do? Uh, it's a business network and consultancy focused on insurance and insurtech space. And we run an annual insurtech conference. Alrighty. Um, before we kick off, I was just going to sort of talk through some of the language, right? Because there's so much so many buzzwords in this space people talk about um permissionless versus permissioned um and and i don't know if anybody wants to to jump in on this piece but i always see permissionless as being sort of typified by your bitcoins your ethereums there's no central owner there's no controller of that network which has opportunities and it has problems it can run without you which is nice but sometimes you have things happen like the dow hack where famously 150 million dollars was hacked and there was nobody that could do anything about it but you can run unstoppable code and it's potentially permissionless and free, just like the internet is. It, it's almost like a utility versus permissioned, which may be typified by um, Corda from R3, by Hyperledger Fabric or Sawtooth, or by the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance taking Ethereum and having somebody that sits on top of that. And this is what people talk about as uh, crypto. Oh, sorry, we like te the technology, but not the currency. Um, so we're going to use the technology, but we're going to strip the currency off. And we can get into why. I think that's a bit of a misnomer. Right. Did, does anybody want to challenge that or add to that um, in, in any way? Well, so I think the uh, I, I think for me it's a little bit about so the underlying view of blockchain is transparency, right? So that you can see whatever's going on in the blockchain. That's the key benefit, right? For insurance applications, actually, maybe that's not such a good idea. And actually, sometimes all we want to do is say you can see the data. We want to make sure you can see the data that you're allowed to see but maybe not access to everything that's going on on the network. So for me, that's how I kind of think about it. How do we implement that privacy aspect of it? So a friend of mine, the CTO of R3, Richard Brown, always talks about, I want to know that what I see is the same as what you see, even though I can't see everything you can see, and you can't see everything right. I can exactly. see. Right. Yeah. So you, I should not be able to see all of your clients' information, but I should see that 
the transaction we've done matches. Right. And so even, and we'll talk a bit about P3R, I'm sure, but we were in the early days talking about, actually, we don't even want to be able to see that there's a transaction going on between two other parties on the same network. Of course So not. we need to be able to, not that any detail, but not even that there is a transaction occurring between two parties. So, so being able to not see that stuff is important. And so you still want the benefits of knowing that we match. Absolutely. Without knowing who's matching who, when and where. But in a Bitcoin world, you couldn't have that because in a Bitcoin world, everybody sees everything. Um, in an Ethereum world, most people see most things, although they're starting to look at how you can change that. Um, in a Zcash world, people can see a transaction happened, but not what happened. In a Corda world, the only people who can see what happened are the, pe- the counterparties to a given transaction. I mean, the way that I usually think of about you know permission versus permissionless and it's not particularly sort of intellectual this this view but permissionless is oh cool blockchain and crypto and stuff this is weird and (laughs) you know that might you know it has like weird implications and then there's permissioned and it's like well i don't understand why you're using this technology for any any of these aims so that's basically how i divide the two in my head you have another example was everledger which is built on hyper um hyperledger where they effectively it's an open public um, blockchain for you can see the origin for example of a diamond that it is an original uh, diamond but also it's permissioned for law enforcement agencies who have access to different types of information so there's different degrees of openness on the actual chain that that's interesting because a diamond is forever and it has some unique attributes and if i change any of those attributes i decrease its value yes if you cut it for example yeah um but actually um there is a centralized body for diamonds the the gemological institute of america the gia that holds onto a record of here is everything you need to know about this diamond and that gia has been hacked internally several times so uh, the people that work at the gia are outsourced um to a large uh, outsourcer based in india uh, who, because these people aren't very well paid, that are administrators of this database, people find who those administrators are, um, put their family under duress in some way, and force them to change the details about a diamond. And this is the problem with anything centralized, is that usually there's a point in which you can hold a gun to somebody's head and say, change the thing. The idea that I've put this diamond on this permissionless blockchain, this open source permissionless blockchain, means that nobody can change it without overcoming the power of that entire network, without a 51% attack. But what I've done is I've tied to that the hidden bit, and the hidden bit is who actually owns the diamond, who is the legal owner, because 60% of all diamonds that are stolen actually end up going to auction because, lo and behold, we don't know who the original owner was. Right. So, And this is why uh, the diamond industry has been quite opaque. Is there like a, a sort of, I know we're getting off ta- uh, into a tangent a little bit, but like, is there like a lag period where you know, all these bad guys don't know about the sort of new blockchain technology that they're using. And so they're putting people under duress and say, change, change the record. Yeah. And you're like, I can't change the record. And so you have this weird, horrible and gruesome lag period where, you know, bad things are happening. Because that would make a really cool movie. <laughs> and, and a really bad reality. I, I think uh, movie scripts by Kadim Schuber is, is definitely a spin-off show we need to do one of these days. But then, so we talked about, the, I guess, the diamond industry a little bit there. But I guess, Walid, so do you want to take through what are the problems in the insurance industry? How long do you have? <laughs> um, well, from my uh, from my sort of uh, brief history in the market and from the when I've seen uh, the blockchain take up and, and work, I think um, the challenge with uh, blockchain and the insurance industry is first first and foremost defining how much emphasis the average worker needs to put into the technology and then how much emphasis needs to be put on the business application. And that business application piece, like fundamentally, what problem do we need to solve at the business application level? Like, what's, if I'm the CEO of one of the major insurance groups, Cost. what's keeping me up at night? Cost. Your average uh, Lloyd's uh, insurer is running at about 40% cost, I believe, is the, the latest analysis. And that that's obviously... What do you mean 40% cost? Of, of like sales of... Your overheads for operate your operating costs, um, including uh, all the regulation, including being in Lloyd's, including uh, operating in, in the London market. Um, and obviously that, that takes a massive hit to your, to your bottom line and, and stifles various investment into innovation and modernization. You, you also have to remember that in the insurance industry, you know, you have a whole range of intermediaries. And those intermediaries are closely linked to each other. And so introducing a technology that can remove some of those intermediaries 
can have important implications uh, on their revenue. If you look, for example, at Hiscock, uh, Hiscock used to do most of its business through brokers. And then it decided, you know, we're going to try and, and go directly to our, our customers. That had a direct impact on their bottom line for some time before they started recovering uh, from yeah, their Yeah, brokers were bringing the customers to yes. them. So brokers have this network of all of the big companies who want to insure weird things, like you say at Excel. And so I want to insure some shipping um, company for a day whilst a storm happens, some random event. And the brokers have all those relationships. So Hiscox says, actually, you know what? We're going to cut you guys out. And suddenly, yeah, there's a revenue hit. And then what happened? But then eventually by going directly to the customer, they got something which is customer data, information of who their customer is. And that enables them if you want to start designing products that are more customer centric. When you have a broker in between, that acts as a filter, as a, gate, as a gatekeeper to how much content you can get on that customer. Sure, you, you can't really know their needs, their desires, what I can upsell, cross-sell, uh, and what their future needs might be unless you've got hands on that data. But I could do that before blockchain. What I'm trying to drive at is fundamentally, what are the cost issues that Seb, you talked about, and what are they driven by? Greg, maybe you could take a, take a shot at this one. So I think, let's take London market, right, which is a 300-year-old market. It, a broker will come with a with a, a risk from a client and they will try and disperse that across 10 20 insurers right so so you've got the same data about that risk whether it's a, a ship or whether it's a diamond or whatever needs to be insured and that information needs to be dispersed across a number of different parties all want to see the same data and will be party to the same policy that is written then for the customer at the moment what that means is one piece of data then gets distributed across all of those people. And for the more complex risks, there'll be a backwards and forwards about, okay, so we might need more information. Can we have this more information? And then and this suddenly... this is happening via, what, emails? This is happening via phone calls? Well, how's it, how's it been... Face-to-face, -face, emails, paper... Scribbled you notes. You name it. You nice. name it, it happens, right? Yeah, absolutely. In the London market, it happens. And, and that creates a lot of admin on both sides, Um and frankly slows the process down, right? So blockchain, what it can do uh, is it can really smooth that out. It can really smooth out that distribution to make sure everybody knows that they were looking at the same thing at any one point in time. So the latest version of the data, the latest version of the contract, because the contract terms will obviously get negotiated as well. Is it just me though? Does, does this just not need DocuSign? Like Surely uh, the document collaboration tools are more important than a blockchain in this case. Right, but I, I think where, uh, where we should be going, right? Maybe not where we are going, but where we should be going is getting away from a document and getting into data, right? So converting that contract into a smart contract as much as possible, converting it into code so that we can execute that contract and automate it, right? So, so right. we're so, not so reliant as on on a document being physically transferred around. Right, so there's a bunch of life cycle events that that contract infers, right? So I'm agreeing to pay this under these conditions, yeah. right? That's that's my, my policy effectively that I'm buying. Somebody's underwritten that and, and so on. So somebody's standing behind it and then it will get reinsured and sold on and so on. Right. So all of those things happen on the back end of the contract with different parties. So you've got the two people that are you know, potentially the broker and the underwriter that are agreeing this this contract on behalf of the customer. That ultimately, so you've got those three parties, and then you've got the, all of the reinsurance and everything that happens on the back end of that. All of that's driven by the wording in this contract. So the negotiation tennis bit, it's nice to capture that, and we could probably do that with better UIs and better digital stuff, and we maybe even could do that without a blockchain. What we would struggle to do is that next bit. If this thing happens, then do we agree that this thing happened and what happens next? Do we move money around and that sort of thing? I mean, just going back to what you were talking about in terms of like the problems, I, I always have a question of like how, how much of the opportunity comes down to you have a, a, a an old sort of way of doing business and to, to digitize it, you know, leave blockchain out of it, just to digitize a lot of that would give, you know, would, would uh, accrue like significant gains to right. everyone involved. So I think there's, there's that part. Um, but in terms of like what new products become available, um, which I think is what you're sort of uh, getting at, Simon, then the question is, well, A, can I not create those products in a different way? But B, like, do I even want to create those products? Like, for example, you know, do do two parties involved in a contract want a computer to tell them what's, what's what? Yeah. Or do they want to actually 
you know, be able to arbitrage, be able to arbitrage and haggle and and argue about it. Because actually, probably lots of people want to argue about what really happened, and they don't want a computer to just force something upon them. It depends who you are, I guess. Well, this, yeah. Sorry, I said that this is where we get into that whole, you know. TMI area, too much information, which, you know, if there's full transparency, is that actually, um, you know, constructive? Um, and, and certainly in insurance, I think there is a, um, and, in, and in all business, there's a level where if you, you can't exchange too much information all the time, but there are some you get things, bogged down. There are some things that are a little bit yes and no, right? So if a, if a ship goes into a war zone, it was either there or it wasn't, right? So GPS data can tell us that. Currently, that tr- creates a lot of paper and it takes a lot of time lag for us to work out. OK, so it went into a war zone. Therefore, this premium is additional premiums paid. You could automate that and nobody wants to haggle over that. That is just a kind of yes, no binary. And I could that automate that without just- a blockchain. But what I might not be able to do is get everybody to agree to that fact without a blockchain because effectively... It creates trust. Yes. Yeah, so so the, the fact previously would have been this person says a thing and then emails everybody else versus with a blockchain chain this person says a thing and everybody gets to validate that thing being true right and you can validate oracles right so you can say actually i will trust this source of data technical so jargon this, oracles so okay good point so you can name trusted sources of data that says actually if this source of data tells us that this ship was in this uh, gps everybody is okay to trust that data and therefore you can then trigger off but um, but i could do that without a blockchain right totally but I couldn't necessarily get everybody to agree that that thing happened from that oracle at that time. Right. And then the manual process around that would have been painful because, again, I'd have basically been sending the equivalent of emails, right? So messaging always looked like this person says a thing, everybody gets that message, everybody then sets about interpreting that message in their own way versus everybody gets that message, everybody has the shared smart contract that interprets that message in the same way, and that's the difference. And if you look at Fizzy, for example, from AXA, and it uses that oracle of flight information. So when you you book your flight, you know that if your flight is delayed by over two hours, you automatically get a claim payment. So, made. so this is the consumer app Fizzy that yes. AXA produced. This consumer app is an app I download on my phone. I download this app and uh, I enter any flight information I've got coming up. And then if my flight is delayed, there's no question about it. They've taken the information from somewhere. I get repaid um, as I'm intended to. And the interesting thing is they did that on the permissionless Ethereum blockchain. And by doing that, they believe they've saved costs because they've not got somebody checking that flight information. They've just paid you the money. They, they save costs, but also significantly improve the customer experience. You don't have to initiate a claim. You don't have to fill out any paperwork. It's all done automatically. But that one definitely doesn't need blockchain, right? Like that one, like 100% doesn't need to be a blockchain to be on, on Ethereum to function, right? So the interesting thing they say is this functions without them as an organization. So AXA have no impact over whether or not that claim gets paid or not. It's happening on the public Ethereum network. Yeah. So the interesting thing they're saying is you're not now arguing with us it's the logic in the contract that's sitting there in the public domain that you can see for yourself, which I think is quite interesting. They've almost outsourced the decision-making to the software. And this, sorry, that's just getting into the whole trust area. Um, you know, insurance really is about trust of, at the very core of it. And are we offsetting, tr- are we trying to offset trust to, to the technology, to the blockchain? I think that can possibly differentiate uh, whether or not people are going to be more attuned with permission or permissionless. And, and that was the core of the question. So, um, Greg, you um, you sit uh, involved in B3I, which is much more in the permissioned space. So what was the, the logic behind going with something that's more permissioned versus, say, Fizzy, which is permissionless? I'll explain B3I a little bit for those that don't know. So B3I is a consortium that started back in October 2016, looking uh, originally just to uh, a group of 15 insurers and reinsurers getting together, going, this blockchain thing, we think, Maybe there's something in it, maybe something for us that could could be helpful. We built a proof of concept and now we're looking then to build out a production platform so we can actually start trading contracts on from a reinsurance perspective at least. And really B3I is there to create a market utility uh, that actually people can start trading these reinsurance contracts. And therefore the, the issue being is that why we've gone permissioned is we need to we need to be able to make sure that uh, parties, you know, so so if we've got forty people on the on the blockchain network, 
one contract may have between one insurer and 10 reinsurers and you only want to make sure that those guys can see that that trade is going on and actually within within a contract itself there may be different terms between some of the insurers right so you'll have a standard set of terms that everybody signs up to and then you'll have some insurers and some reinsurers will have specific terms that they will then agree between themselves right so it's not a standard contract necessarily which is familiar to me from um, a financial services background in, in the banking side, because you've got over-the-counter and exchange-traded, right? So it sounds to me like this is somewhere in the middle of those two, right? So you, we've had um, like trading venues in um, the world of you know, investment banking for, for quite some time. We've solved that problem of creating that trusted intermediary a number of times before. You just... Uh, the industry co-funds Nuco. Nuco serves the industry and it either manages collateral or it it helps manage the contracts or it syncs up the data. But what it does is then you solve that problem and you've got to do it somewhere else and somewhere else and somewhere else versus over the counter, which is a set of standards that we all do differently, um, which which is the ISDA piece, is to say this is the contract and you trade bilaterally. You're saying this is somewhere in the middle of those two and the best of both. So it's not, we've not trusted this central intermediary, but we have sort of got one to set rules and the rules of the road. But actually, we're not relying on their technology where, like, how do you unpick that? So I think, so what we're looking for is it, B3I creates a platform of which you can then, people can then put contracts on it and then they can uh, they can open those contracts up to, in our example, reinsurers then to be part of that contract. And at the moment, we're really looking at the efficiency play around contract administration and kind of premium collection and, and all that good stuff in the insurance industry. Efficiency around contract administration and premium collection. Unpick that for me because that was some, a statement you've thrown away, but actually I think there's business value in what you just said because no, that's, no, that's ultimately uh, the key, isn't it? Uh, absolutely, right? So... so th- if you look into the business process, it's a- it actually gets quite complex, overly complex for really what, what should be a relatively straightforward thing where you've got a a cedent or an insurer with a book of business that they want to reinsure. They will go to a broker. A broker will then pass all that information to a set of reinsurers. They'll negotiate the contract, the contract terms, and then it will go out to a larger set of reinsurers uh, to say, hey, here's the standard set of terms that we're going to go to to market on. Are you willing to buy into this risk? That actually is an awful lot of to and froing that I've just described, right? So uh, a lot of circles. And then once the uh, contract is agreed, all the terms agreed, then everybody needs to collect the money and you're getting proportions from each individual. The broker is in the middle trying to bring all that together, pass money between the reinsurers and the insurers. And of course, some of those reinsurers will be then passing off to a retrocessionaire, which is just another, a reinsurer of a reinsurer. So you get another, you get another chain. Right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so what the blockchain can do is just automate the hell out of that. Right. So and uh, coming back to your point, which is we shouldn't be trying to just digitize what we currently do. We should be looking at how do we use blockchain to eliminate steps in the process because i'm a firm believer is that you you can if you just digitize an existing process you just make the same mistakes faster faster horses or uh, building a car digitizing a paper process versus a truly digital process you you get to think about the virtues of digital this is something we talk about at 11fs with our clients a lot is what does digital give you that you didn't have before does it make your old process go faster or does it give you the opportunity to rethink your process right how do the like brokers you speak to a feel about this and b justify their existence so we actually had the three main uh brokers right aon marsh willis all participate in testing the platform back in october november last year right and we did get we did get that question right which is aren't you trying to disintermediate the brokers no what we're trying to do is stop all the participants in the value chain spending money on administration which frankly is worth worthless right so and we could just get rid of so that doesn't mean disintermediation it just means the brokers like the insurers and the reinsurers stop having to do so much admin they've still got a, absolutely a role in terms of helping 
understand who should be part advising the client on who's got appetite for this type of risk, all that kind of stuff. So I absolutely still see a role for the brokers. I think there's also what digital brings is two new potential paradigm shift for the insurance industry. One is if you remove all these administrative costs, you can lower you know, your, your process to issue, for example, micro-insurance. Now, micro-insurance is something that, in my opinion, can help the underserved yeah, uh, micro insurance being insurance for small amounts of money for things yes. that would have traditionally been too expensive for an insurance company to really Correct. look at. Sometimes freemium um, life insurance through phones to, to very poor people in emerging markets. I- imagine you're a farmer in Africa or in Asia. You know you you can insure to some degree you know, whether it rains or not and that impact it can have on your crops. Or even here, you have Kuva, for example, for when you're driving. you It's a... Um, a car insurance, and you only pay when you're actually using the car, for example. So that's, you know, one model. Or the second model, I think, is insurance is about paying you a certain amount if X or Y happen. What happens if you link the blockchain to IoT, to a whole range of sensors, and you say, okay, let's move away from that kind of model, but to using those sensors to help you manage risk so that we can reduce the chance of a certain outcome happening so we don't have to do a payout. Because at the end of the day, insurers don't, don't particularly want to make payouts. Mm-hmm. And when you say, sorry, when you say re- reduce the likelihood of something happening, and how, how exactly? Yeah, so for example, there is this um, uh, insure tech startup called NEOS. And what they do is part of your home insurance is, insurance is that they set up sensors across your home uh, that can tell you, for example, if there's a difference in pressure in your pipes. And if there is, then they can call a plumber to come and check it out before you have a flood. So it's prevention rather yes. than cure. You, yeah, the, pre, the precog in minority reports. Quite a good, that's the ideal scenario to get to. And, and I can do that without a blockchain, except it's really nice if there is a blockchain, if I've got a secondary market that can see the data, I can start to really do interesting things around buying, selling, and reselling and managing that risk. So, so it, And it's also nice to have a load of Internet of Things devices, but actually, how do I know that the data from those devices is something I can trust? Well, if other parties are reconciling it, surely that, that helps. I can gain trust. And I, I see two particularly big use cases in insurance. One which is where you've got syndicated or reinsurance risk, which where you're part, as I talked about, B2I is really trying to attack. The other one where you've got a client that needs to create a trusted source of data so that you can then trust that data and use that to drive the insurance right so whether that's a supply chain like a shipping company or whether that's uh, more in the consumer model right so for me those two are huge use cases where blockchain delivers something that we really struggle to deliver using centralized database today but if this is all about reducing cost right um i guess does and we're removing some of that human face-to-face element surely that commoditizes the industry a little bit right because you you find yourself in a position where oh right great we've automated it we've taken the cost out but that cost story doesn't scream great this is super high value this increases my revenue i i would say that um it's not all just about reducing costs. I think you know there, there is an here. opportunity to enter new markets using a marketplace blockchain solution in the perfect world, um, and you know I think that 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 makes more of a more of a case for for the whole technology. And so we, we later today we'll we'll get into speaking to uh, Stefan from from Etherisk who who has uh, some examples of of kind of what that looks like. But I wonder, you know, what are the opportunities in your mind, Greg? So reducing costs. That, that, you know, we know there are a lot of un- uninsured or underinsured assets out there, right? So, so reducing the cost makes it much more available to a lot more people, right? So, so we write a lot of catastrophe risk, and you see big hurricanes come through, and 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 actually the worst thing is where people are not insured for them, right? So because they've not been able to afford the uh, insurance, if we can lower the cost of insurance because we can be more efficient, actually we can insure more risk and help people. But you can protect margins whilst you're doing it. This isn't uh, because. I could lower For my sure. prices today, but but lowering my prices and ha- still having a strong margin is actually commercially imperative. Right, indeed. Versus also then the uh, the view that says actually does blockchain help you open up some new type of uh, insurance products that are, that actually otherwise we don't do. And certainly I do I do see there's opportunity there where and we we talked a bit about it about it particularly with the combination with IoT. I think gets very interesting, which is how do you start to really drive 
uh, more and more products that are about loss prevention, I think is a, is a big theme of where the market's going. And I see the com- combination of IoT and putting that on the blockchain to create a trusted source of data helps you then to open up new products. Exactly. And, and those IoT, whether they're wearable devices or telematics in your car, enables you as an insurance provider to generate truly personalized policies, which, depending also on how you use, can be more competitively priced. So I, I really But do what th- does blockchain give me, right? Telematics I have today, it's live with countless thousands, if not um, nearly a couple million cars in the UK alone, never mind around the world. What, is the, what does blockchain give me in that scenario? Let's look, for example, at GDPR, right? General got- Data Protection Regulation. Yes. Which is the regulation that says um, I have to be able to give consent and informed consent, and I have to be able to revoke consent and remove data. Yeah. You are great at this jargon busting, aren't you? <laughs> or open a bookshop. Detect and just that jargon <laughs> and I'm going to explain this term. I'm, I'm going to give it a go, it. but Congrats. I'm open to be challenged on these terms because like, hey, people listen to podcasts because they want to learn stuff, right? So I- imagine um, on that principle, you have all this data that you own about yourself, whether it is through telematics or wearables, and you put that information out on a marketplace or on a blockchain, let's say, for insurers to bid for. Before we get to the solution, let's talk about the problem. Right now, my data is held in a silo by some organization who attests that they may have deleted it, but I have no proof of that being true. I see the power of a blockchain or DLT of being proof of a thing happening that we agreed to. So proof of you have my data, proof of you deleted my data is super powerful under GDPR. But actually then proof of you have my data, proof of you're allowed to do this thing with this data, you start getting into some of the things like Ocean Protocol and some of the really interesting projects out there around actually somebody can look at this data and insure me in different ways, offer me competitive prices, you create a marketplace around, hey, I'm a safe driver. You get to like, um, the price comparison websites 2.0 with that data because I have consented to give that data to a price comparison site or and or agent in some way. I think I mean, just to, just to jump in and because there's been a few kind of like interesting ideas with lots of a either externalities or b you know promises that are unlikely really to come come to reality. So for example, uh, you know making insurance cheaper for people who live in you know hurricane zones. I mean the fact that people live in hurricane zones and are sort of effectively you know to some extent subsidized and then b are insured to do so is like arguably like a ne- you know a bad thing, right? Like you know it costs us a ton of money to deal with the fact that people live somewhere where their house gets destroyed every single year or something. But then this idea that, well, the blockchain will prove to a consumer interacting with a large corporation, you know, that A, their data was handled in X, X, Y, Z kind of way. I mean, really the way this stuff is going to get rolled out to com- consumers will be through some sort of interface. Yeah, right? Absolutely. So uh, what have I proven if I've just given you a tick on a, an interface? Yeah, right, exactly. And so, and so I, I think... I, I agree that that would be great, and 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 to ha- individuals having sort of ownership of their data would be great. I'm just sort of I don't know if we will see that. We, we raise an interesting point about the user experience, right? It's nice to be able to prove something mathematically, but what does that mean in terms of user experience that a Twitter blue tick doesn't give me already? Absolutely, and I think also from a business perspective, um, you know, that we're talking about farmers or, or whatever it might be, and sometimes, you know, I think it's still traditionally you a claims adjuster will go around with a clipboard and look at, at every single crop, you know, and see how damaged it is. If there was an opportunity to use drone, drone collected data that was in a trusted source um, that effectively triggered the payment of a claim what we're getting into is quickly uh, claims being paid very quickly and i can have the drone without a blockchain i can have the data without a blockchain but can i trust the data from that that's it so i think that's it do we need blockchain to trust data to enable claims to be paid quicker I don't know. And, and that doesn't involve the individual's control over the data. That's actually more about a device sending something somewhere and doing something that we all agree needs to be done. One thing I'm really curious about is, I mean, how much of the sort of claims business is the sort of relatively uncontroversial stuff, like whether this is by like transaction number or like by value, is the relatively uncontroversial stuff where automating that and, and having this sort of like uh, trustless system will, you know, will be just sort of straightforward. And how and how much of it actually remains quite difficult? Clearly, the answer is depends. Right? It, it is interesting. I was uh, I think I was listening to one of the er- earlier podcasts uh, about autonomous driving. Right? So, so suddenly you're going to get a whole lot more data about what happened in an accident because the car's got a shed load more data and is capturing that than we ever would have had before. So, with 
the advent of a number of technologies, actually we're going to get a lot more data, which hopefully will create a much more transparent view of what actually really happened. But we've got the world now where there's a lot more data. We've got the data explosion. And what we really end up is in this Facebook dystopia of fake news where actually data is manipulated against us. So, like, I need to be able to trust that that data is handled responsibly. But that's the thing also about blockchain, you know, it, it just links data. If you put crap in, crap comes out. So turns out it's not a panacea for all the things in the world. Uh, well, listen, um, we're coming up against it on time. Um, I want to make sure that you guys uh, have an opportunity to tell us a little bit more about uh, where people find out about you. But before we do that, um, I'm just really curious to see, well, what are you excited about in the blockchain and insurance space? If you'd say there's one thing to keep an eye out for, what, what's getting you excited at the moment? For me, the, the real excitement is about reaching the underserved. That, for me, is an enormous opportunity because uh, all across parts of Africa and Asia, people do not have insurance policy. To being able to check that data at distance and serve at distance and have trust that that data is realistic and, and that and you can trust it at distance reduces your costs of, versus sending somebody out with a, with a clipboard. Interesting perspective. What about you, Seb? Um, I think it's really interesting how the traditional setup can actually help the likes of ICOs um, thrive. Um, can brokers provide the necessary uh, business interruption cyber insurance that ICO that businesses um, uh, raising ICO need to continue to do so? Oh, and we haven't really got into that, but that's interesting. How does the regular old business of insurance support the crypto world? And you know, the insurance industry has always been very good at responding to innovation. It's not got technology at the heart of it. That's why I think it struggles today. But it, it's very good at responding to anything. It'll find a way. And it is offering insurance to ICOs already. It, it, they, absolutely. Um, there are, I, I mean, markets, um, very few markets um, who are um, offering some, sort of, some solutions. That's super interesting. There is insurance available for your token sale. And oh my goodness, there must be some regulatory risk out there that people are, are taking. Uh, how about yourself, Greg? Um, what excites me is... What will excite me, I think, in 2018, 2018, that's the year we own, <laughs> uh, is somebody getting really into production on one of these platforms, right? That's, that's the key, right? So there's a lot of talk, B3I, we're out there uh, talking about what we want to do. Uh, Excel Captain is also involved in a marine blockchain uh, initiative. Want to see one of these things being really used in anger and really starting to prove the tech. Right? Marine because blockchain, of, I'm thinking of like some uh, blockchain with night vision goggles yeah, on no, no. swimming so under a boat somewhere. We're in a small consortium, which is uh, with Maersk, right? So direct with one of our customers, with a broker uh, and uh, flowing the data about the ships. Uh, through the blockchain into the insurance. Let's get this stuff live because um, I, again, I come from the banking space. DLT was all the rage in 2015, and I don't know anything's live at scale right, in banking. Right, right, and it, we need it, it's great that it's hype, but actually, it's got to deliver. It Absolutely. has to deliver. That for me is the key thing. So, Karim, uh, you get last word. I'm really excited by uh, insuring ICOs, which I did not realize was going on. So, I'm going to like go find Stick out all about for that. A beer. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to do another crossover episode to get into that one alone. Or we might do it on Blockchain Insider. That's why you need to subscribe to both streams. Alrighty, um, where can people find out more about you, Greg, and, uh, and, and about Excel? Uh, so Excel is oh, actually I don't know at, at Excel uh, Catlin I think uh, I'm at Greg and Sid. Should have thought of a better Twitter handle. <laughs> How about yourself, Wallet? Um, mainly on LinkedIn, but also inspired by you guys. I'm launching uh, Intrablocks and Insurance Blockchain podcast oh, because wow. this space needs okay. education we'll, we'll have to do a crossover episode of crossover episodes we'll we'll have uh, homer simpson walk in there'll be the folks from family guy and then uh, guys from god knows name your favorite tv show here Kadim, how about yourself uh i'm on twitter at Kadim schuber and at alphaville at ftalphaville.ft.com brilliant and sub uh twitter at insuretechcon um and google us uh, marketminds.net Brilliant. And you can find me at SYTaylor or by looking me up at 11fs.com. Uh, we help people do more in all of the financial services space uh, and get things delivered and get them live. That's what we're all about. Um, so we're definitely feeling that. All right. Next up, Colin G. Platt, GSAS himself, spoke to uh, the founder, Stefan Kapaschek, the co-founder of Etherisk. Over to that interview. I'm here with Stefan Kapaschek of Etherisk. Stefan, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me, Colin. 
For those that don't know you, could you tell us a bit about who you are and what Etherisk does? Of course, happy to. So Etherisk is building decentralized insurance. We are doing this now for almost two years. And we started putting the first insurance application on the public Ethereum blockchain in September 2016. That was flight delay. And we like to think of it as the first decentralized autonomous insurance business on the blockchain. My background, I'm a software developer. I was a software developer and turned strategy consultant. I was working for a bank, applying blockchain to several banking use cases. And I co-founded a blockchain education startup. And then I found insurance as being one of the most interesting areas to apply blockchain technology to. And let's dive into that a little bit. What specifically about insurance did you see as a problem and what specific problems does blockchain fix? The main problem with insurance today, as I see it or as we see it, is a certain asymmetry of incentives. You have a very asymmetrical relation between the big insurance companies and their customers. So these are companies like AXA or Alliance or... Allianz or wh whoever. And if you think about it, the insurance company has a very strong commercial incentive not to pay you if you have a claim. Yeah? All the money that the insurance does not pay out is their profit, basically. Yeah? And if you think about what insurance does and if you, if you start dealing with the history of insurance... It's about distributing money. Yeah, it's about distributing money, um, collecting premiums, and in the case, under certain conditions, in the case of a damage, to pay out to the, to the um, claimant. And in its simplest form, this process can be easily modeled in a smart contract. Yeah, a smart contract on the blockchain can collect premiums, it can check for certain conditions, and if these conditions apply, it can pay out. And that's what an insurance does. So I like to, to think of it as we are replacing the insurance company with a piece of software, a very small piece of software. So that's, that's a pretty scary notion if I work in an insurance company today that my job and all of my colleagues and all of my managers can be replaced with software. Is that something that you really see practically happening overnight? Uh, probably not overnight, but uh, I would put it that way. If we are talking to insurance companies, I like to ask them, where do you see your, your role in a decentralized insurance ecosystem? And of course, they need to go through some education. They need to understand what a blockchain is, what a smart contract is, where the limitations currently are, and where the systemic limitations are and there is a role of course there is a role for human agents if you want i think it's it's part of our task to educate insurance companies what parts of their services of their offering will remain also in a decentralized economy for example Claims management. Yeah? Claims management is a typical example. That's in, in some cases, you need to have people on the ground who go somewhere and, and check for a claim and try to assess a certain damage. Yeah? House burned down, uh, um, how much damage has been done. That's something that will take some time until machines or, or bots can do this um, better than human agents. So your first product that came live was back in 2016 with flight delays that you referenced. So I remember this was, it was an exciting moment because you guys announced this at the second Ethereum developers convention, which if memory serves was in Shanghai in late 2016. Um, some people signed up for this when they took their flights out to Shanghai. Some people didn't. And I remember seeing that come across Twitter. That's a process that, correct me if I'm wrong, was all taken from digital sources. There were no 
people involved other than exactly. people putting exactly. money in. That's 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 the use case that we that we used to show the benefits of blockchain. And it's a fully automated process. Yeah? So the basic principle is very simple. You you sign up for the insurance policy, you transfer your premium together with your flight data, and as soon as the flight lands, you get a payout. Fully automated. There is no claims process. There is no one to hinder that payment, and the smart contract does not need to make a profit. And that's the, and and that's actually what we want to show that it's not necessary with blockchain technology. It's not necessary to have an intermediary, a, a trusted third party, that pulls out rent from the process. You don't need that anymore. You can have. A, a smart mutual, if you want, yeah. Like I like to think of it, or I like to compare it with with a cooperative organization. And I think that's a really powerful idea that you just brought across. With smart contracts, smart contracts don't need to return money to shareholders. But it begs the question: Who would offer this, and how do they make money? We offer this, and how do you make money? Do we need to make money? How do you return money to your shareholders? What shareholders? How do you pay your salary? We get paid. We got this pre-financed, pre-funded. I got this pre-funded by buying Ether very early. So, so your interest is is solely in developing the Ethereum network. Why would um, I want to make? I want to show the benefits of the Ethereum network and of of blockchains in general. I want to, I want to develop real products that people can use, and where people see a real value in using them. So is it fair to say that the products that you're building are not in themselves a business model? They're solely... They don't need to be. The, the smart contract does not need to earn money. If we are able to produce smart contracts where I can configure the money earning component, yeah, and I can configure it to be 10% mm -hmm. or 3% or 0.3% or 0%. Yeah? And if we make this very transparent and very open, yeah, we, are, we are truly committed to open sourcing all, all the products and all the policies that we develop. If we make this very open, the prices will converge to zero. Yeah? It's a market demand. Yeah? Everybody can now come and copy flight delay. And we know of some people who do. And reduce the the fee that is configured as a parameter in there and why should we um, keep it up and then we can reduce it to zero too so this this is you know we talked about automation being scary for somebody working in insurance surely competing with somebody that doesn't need to charge you any money to it's offer much a service more scary. Is, yes. is freaking <laughs> us out so yes and i mean of of course in i mean in the long run we want this to be sustainable yeah and there will there will be a certain fee comparable to to gas on on ethereum yeah but um i really like to think of this as a public utility yeah we want to we want to make the core processes of insurance available for free on a public blockchain for everybody to use for everybody to copy and clone and configure to their needs yeah i want everybody to be your own insurance. And there's a really interesting concept in there too. But surely one of the things we've seen with blockchains is these things are really hard to use. From a user experience point of view, what's really ready for the average person who says, I need flight insurance or I need car insurance or I need home insurance. How do they do it? What are you guys doing about UX? The, th the thing is insurance is not a product that, that people buy. Yeah? Insurance is a product that gets sold. Uh, that's an that's an old saying if you if you talk to people from the insurance business and in my perspective we need we need to change our notion of what an insurance system looks like for me the perfect insurance is the one which i don't care about at all and that is only there when the damage has already happened yeah so i like to i like to think of it that way imagine you have an accident and after the accident, someone comes, steps up to you and says, that will all get better. Here is some money to care for the first uh, troubles and to pay your bills and um, to keep you out of 
of bigger trouble. If you if you think of this as a from a user experience point of view, this is close to a miracle. And that's exactly what I want insurance to be. I want insurance to be close to a miracle and financed by a community, society if you want. Yeah. And we we have seen some some examples that go in the right direction. So for example, we've we've um, played around with a concept to insure crossroads. Yeah, you don't you don't have a you don't have an insured person anymore or an insured entity, but you have an insured crossroad and whatever accident happens on that crossroad, no matter if the person was insured or not, um, the people involved in that accident get a payout. So what you're talking about is like a physical crossroad in a, a street. Two streets meet. Yes. There's an accident at this. Let's let's say you have as a as a municipality or as a city, yeah? You have um, some crossroads that are just more dangerous than others. Yeah? So what can you do? What are your options? You can either invest a lot of money to try to build this crossroad safer, yeah? or you can transfer the risk. Yeah? With risk, you always have a few options. Yeah? You can mitigate the risk, or you can transfer it. and Or you can retain it, but that's the worst option. And... Um, by creating an option to transfer risk from a crossroad to someone else yeah, who has an interest that um, those accidents are, are get, get compensated. Yeah? I mean, you have to be careful not to create wrong incentives here. Yeah? So that's, that's very, we don't want people uh, on purpose to crash into each other um, just to get a payout. Yeah? That's, that's, not the, that's not the idea. But um, the, the principle of this really keeps me thinking. And I, I, I want to go in, into that direction with insurance. With blockchain, we have the opportunity to rethink the basic fundamentals of insurance. And that's what we are doing. It's a lofty goal. Um, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think um, the question that I have is really, what are the steps and, and who are the people involved and what are their incentives to get to this end vision? Yes. So what we are doing now is we, we are creating an open source protocol for insurance. It's called the Decentralized Insurance Protocol. And we want to provide a platform which gives you all the building blocks that you need to implement your own insurance business. So right now, if you have an idea and you want to turn this idea into a running insurance business, you have a long and very painful way in front of you. You need to care for licenses, you need to care for the technology, you need to care for capital, you need to bring all of this together. It's very expensive to create an insurance business today. And we want to make this much, much easier. In terms of Reducing the time it needs to start an insurance business from months or years now down to a few hours. So basically, I want anybody with a good idea to be able to start his or her insurance business in an afternoon. That's the idea. That's the that's the, the vision where we are heading. And we are now we are now putting up the first instances of insurance businesses. And we record on the way what we learn about it and we try to make the same process much, much easier for everybody else. So we will provide the licenses that you need. We provide you with the technology that you need. Think of smart contract templates, all the user interfaces that you need, mobile apps, integrations, software development kits, APIs, whatever you need to, to bring your product out there. And we will provide you with the capital or at least with a way to raise the capital needed to, to kickstart this insurance business. We have done this now a few times. Um, Flight Delay is our main showcase, but we have a few others and, and a few other products in the pipeline. And we have received, I think, maybe 20 or 25 requests from insurtechs and insurance businesses that all face the same problem. They have a good idea how they can improve insurance in, in a certain aspect or, or create a better product for a specific market. And in order to get this running, they need to partner with established insurance companies. Mm -hmm. 
with the incumbents. The incumbents either don't have an incentive to partner with them, or if they partner with them, they dictate the rules. And those rules are normally quite not so attractive for insurtechs. Yeah? And um, th that's a big issue. Yeah? And we want to change this. So does that mean, if I'm reading this correctly, you, Ether, as a company, have become an insurance company in your own right and are extending that to really change the balance of power to anybody trying to innovate in the space? Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's the, that's the plan. We are not there yet. Yeah? So we have applied for our own insurance license and setting up our own entity in Malta in the EU for now. So that's the that's that's the first um, location we are targeting, but we are also looking at um, different jurisdictions, and I, I like to think of it as as surfing the wave of regulatory competition. So we basically go wherever it's easiest for us. Okay, and and what I'm really excited about with this is, I mean, I've I've worked in in companies trying to partner with big incumbents, and it takes forever. To get them, as you said, you know, what's your incentive? And if we do decide to do it, we're going to dictate the terms. I've been on this side of the table, mm. you know. I've be, I've been working with one of the largest banks in that space, yeah? and we were talking to a lot of startups and a, a lot of fintechs at that time. Yeah? And it's um, the incentives are not aligned. Yeah? So I think people working in this in these businesses that are sitting there doing strategy, corporate development, or any of these and saying, right, we're going to keep the upper hand because we have the money, we have the clients, we have the know-how. And yes, maybe we have some of these upstarts, um, but it's not the same as a company can launch an app because there's regulations. But when there's alternatives like you who, when you're fully online, say, we like these crazy ideas and we're willing to take a chance with these crazy ideas and we have the regulatory envelope to do it. That is really scary. So you're doing it for free. You're doing it more efficiently with full automation. And the regulators have said, yes, we bless this. Uh, let it go out to the market in time. We are still discussing with the regulators. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's not, I've, I would say we, we are on a good way. Yeah? And we talk to regulators in different jurisdictions. And... Yeah, we'll we'll see. So I we see a lot of development in the space, and it's astonishing how much is moving, yeah? and also how much is moving behind the scenes. But what you uh, normally don't don't see. So that's that's something that um, we are following this very closely, and we try to to make the best use of that, yeah? and and to give these benefits to others and our customers. One other thing I want to I want to follow on with you. You talked a lot about new assets and raising money, and you guys have been on Ethereum longer than most. Um, did you do an ICO? We did a small one. Okay, <laughs> that was um, RSC tokens um, back in 2016. We did not raise much then. The, most of we, what we raised was in Hacker Gold, and it was during a hackathon called Hack Ethercamp, and we raised I think. 500,000 hacker gold. It, it was the most funded project during Hack Ether Camp. And at that time, it was about $50,000, and we were super happy. Um, the, the event was going very good for us. We, we met the great people who supported the project, and we, we built our, our core team, which is still existing in the same form, which, which I find um, quite astonishing. And, um, and that's that was a very very good experience for us. Hacker Gold is worth nothing anymore. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, the the idea to repeat this on a yearly basis has not um, turned out, has not played out. And um, but we also collected um, a few thousand ether in yeah in December two thousand sixteen. This was again about fifty thousand dollars. And, you know, the Ether price has appreciated a bit and this gives us a very comfortable runway. And we are very thankful for that support. And we will do another token generating event. Our lawyers told us never use the word ICO. So we use the word token generating event or short TGE. And we are planning for this. It's already looking very good. We have 
Um, we are working on, on the final version of the terms and conditions uh, with our legal advisors and we are ironing out a few things with the user interfaces and we have a KYC process and an anti-money laundering process and it's all um, it's all looking very good. The, the plan is to do this um, beginning of April now. Yeah, so that's the that's the timeline. And we we will announce this very soon. Okay. Well, I wish you the best of luck in it. I'm glad to hear that uh, you're taking the steps to do KYC because I know that's something we've talked a lot about on the show. And uh, a lot of people aren't doing that. So best of luck on that. Thank you very much for I coming think, on the show. I think you will have a hard time to find, to get a bank account if you don't do KYC. But it's certainly um, more difficult it was, than it was before. Can I say one more thing? I think the, the big benefit here is for the customer. Yeah, so basically... In, in the end, we want the customers to feel the benefits of decentralization. Uh, and and that's, that's what we are working for. Excellent. Thank you very much for coming on. Can you tell people where to find a bit more about you? Etherisk.com is our website. and um, With a C at the end. Yes, with a C at the end. Very important. Thank you. And um, we have a Telegram channel where we have... A, relatively small but very active and very supporting community and you can follow us on twitter and we are happy to hear from you thank you very much thank you colin thanks for having me that wraps up another insurtech insider we hope you've enjoyed this very special blockchain insider takeover of uh, especially with our valentine's day panel of uh, exclusively men i'm feeling the love uh, as always uh, you can find the show on twitter at instech insiders if you like what you've heard this week please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on itunes it's a fledgling podcast it's gone in its own stream it needs those reviews to get moving those reviews help us so so much if you have suggestions or feedback please reach out on twitter or email podcasts at 11fs.com thank you for listening mm-hmm.